Do you enjoy sports, wrestling, and entertainment? How about a podcast filled with laughter and candid banter? If that's the case, I've got the perfect podcast for you to check out. It's called the Wicked K's Podcast. And the hosts of the show are longtime best friends that went to the Connecticut School of Broadcasting together and now want to bring their love of entertaining to an audience on a podcast platform. With over 50 episodes recorded already, they don't plan on going anywhere. I'm sure you're wondering what to expect. You'll hear whimsical conversations about the sports and wrestling world, wild games and segments that will give you a good belly laugh, but most importantly, you will hear two New England boys that just want you to be a part of their world. If all of that sounds interesting to you, visit any podcasting platform and search The Wicked K's Podcast. Also, you can visit www.thewickedks.com. Get it? Huh? Thewickedks.com? Or take a look at their Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter platforms at The Wicked K's. I'll also provide some links in this episode's description. So have fun listening. And as they say on the show, let's get wicked. episode of Strange Places, episode 83. Wild. Can't believe we're still going, man. Yeah, episode 83. Third season. Ain't that something. Well, <laughs> I don't really have a lot to get into before we get into it. This is one of those that we just got to jump in with both feet. It's kind of freaky how you hear about some people that are kind of like your doppelganger. You know, you kind of have parallel lives. There was this guy that lived in my hometown that was identical to my grandfather. Same age, everything, but just like him. Even people that my grandfather knew for years, they would mistake the two. And we always joked that he had a clone walking around. After my grandfather passed, I ended up meeting the guy. And the similarities with those two men was downright frightening. <laughs> they... Even their body language was the same. I do believe that everybody has, you know, not, not in the mythical or supernatural sense, but I think everybody's got, you know, a bit of a doppelganger out there. But there are some people whose lives parallel each other so closely that it kind of makes you reevaluate the, phenom the phenomenon itself. It makes you reevaluate just, you know what this world is to us human beings, how we exist in it. Some of these stories of people who have similar or even parallel kind of lives, they make you question a lot. And this is definitely one of them. Keith Reinhard, he was 49 years old, going on 50. A man three years married with two adult children, working his dream job as a sports writer at the Chicago Daily Herald. And yet, Keith was not happy. Like many men of his age, he was having something of a midlife crisis. The stresses of city life were, they were starting to get to him. He didn't like the extra pounds he'd been putting on around his waistline, you know the whole bit. 
There was also that novel that he always dreamed of writing. When his 50th birthday approached, when with it approaching, was he ever going to sit down and get it done? He thought not. Not unless he made some drastic changes. What he needed was a break from the hustle and bustle of the big city, a break from his life. The way he saw it, kind of needed a reset. And so, Keith obtained a three-month leave of absence from his job, told his wife he was heading out to the Rockies so that he could spend some time away from any distractions. He wanted to focus on his novel, his dream. Carolyn Reinhardt, as you might imagine, was not too keen on the idea, <laughs> but Keith was adamant. This was something that he had to do. Besides, this trip might turn out to be reconnaissance, right? If things went as well as he hoped they would, then he planned on bringing Carolyn to join him out west. It might be a new start for everybody. It was the summer of 1988 when Keith Reinhardt arrived in Silver Plume, Colorado. Now, this place is about as remote a location as you can find while still remaining you know, ten <laughs> tenuously attached to the grid. With a population of just 140 people, Silver Plume is an old mining town located along Clear Creek in the, it's in the front range of the Rocky Mountains. The mines have long since closed, though, even at that time, and the townsfolk now eke out a living catering to tourists who arrive in the summer to, you know, experience living in a ghost town. Keith, he hadn't chosen Silver Plume at random. He had an old friend... Ted Parker, who lived there. From Ted, he rented a store f uh, storefront in the Knights of, uh, I can't say this right, Pythias? Is that how you say it? Knights of Pythias building? Setting it up as an antique business that was never likely to do much trade. I mean, it, it afforded him plenty of time to work on the book, though, and that's, that, that's, you know, that's what mattered. He was on leave of absence from work. You know, he had stable income. And he had enough saved up, but he needed something, you know, to do while he was working on his novel. He designed everything to work around this book. He also rented a small apartment at the back of the long-abandoned Catholic church in the area. This was exactly the solitude that Keith had hoped for when he made the trip out to Colorado. Unfortunately, the peace and quiet, the bracing mountain air failed to stimulate his creative flow. Writer's block. It took up residence in his brain, choking off any idea before it had time to even breathe. Frustrated. I can relate. I'm a novelist myself. Writer's block sucks. Keith started taking long hikes along the trails surrounding the town, hoping that the physical activity might bring some kind of a breakthrough. Stubbornly, no dice. Then, just when Keith was ready to throw in the towel, a local story piqued his interest. It had to do with an individual named Tom Young. Tom was a man of around Keith's age who had mysteriously vanished from Silver Plume the previous year. A former high school art teacher and U.S. Special Forces veteran. He'd been considered somewhat of kind of like the town eccentric. Extremely reclusive. He'd avoided social interaction if he could, spent all of his time in the company of just a black Labrador, Gus. While living in Silver Plume, Tom had operated a bookstore called... What is this? I can't read my own writing. <laughs> Charing Cross Station. It was located on the same premises from which Keith now ran his antiques business. 
Tom Young's kind of strange disappearance was still a hot topic of de- of debate in Silver Plume at that time. It still is, really. Especially now, and you'll know why. On September 7th, 1987, he set out for one of his frequent hikes in the mountains, Gus right along with him. When he failed to come back, though, inquiries revealed that he recently told friends he was planning a trip to Europe. However, his passport hadn't been used recently at all. The police also checked the kennels where Gus was usually boarded while his owner was away. Dog wasn't there. The story of the disappearance intrigued Keith Reinhardt, to say the least. His journalistic instincts were aroused. Writer's block nuked on the spot. His intuition kind of told him there was something here, something worth writing about. In no time at all, he'd shelved the original project and was focusing on this one. His original project, no, (laughs) not going there. This was too big. I can relate to that too. He started peppering the locals with questions, taking detailed notes as they spoke. Then he began plotting out a story based on a character named Guy Gypsum, a character who seems to be a composite of Tom Young and himself. And then on July 31st, 1988, the name of Tom Young was back on the lips of everybody in town. That was when hunters found his skeletal remains propped up against a tree out in the wilderness about an hour's hike from Silver Plume. Tom died from a bullet to the head, delivered by a Smith & Wesson Model 36 that was found lying on the ground right next to the body. It would later be determined that he'd bought the gun just four days before he went missing. His dog Gus was sadly lying nearby as well. The black lab was also shot in the head. To anyone looking into the death of Tom Young, this was a clear case of suicide. That, in any case, was how the medical examiner called it. However, there were a lot of people in town who were skeptical, insisting that Tom had been devoted to Gus and would have never hurt the dog under any circumstances. On August 3rd, there was a memorial service in town which Keith Reinhardt attended. That same evening, he called a colleague back in Chicago and told him he was going to ask their editor for a beat, you know, covering the Bulls when he returned. You know, he had all his ducks in a row even when he was coming back. That's important. He was asking about the assignments for when he returned. That seems to suggest that Keith was planning on ending his retreat in the mountains to return to his old life. Why is that important? Well, that does come into play. Listen to this. On the evening of August 7th, 1988, Keith Reinhardt attended a party in Silver Plume hosted by a Denver radio station. He spent much of that evening talking to a stranger in town, a woman named either Greta or Gretchen. When he did speak to other guests, he told them he was convinced that Tom Young's death was not a suicide. At around 4 p.m. the following afternoon... Keith closed his shop and told Ted Parker that he was going to hike up Pendleton Mountain. Ted laughed off the idea, convinced that his friend was pulling his leg. Pendleton Mountain was a towering 12,500-foot peak. Hiking its steep sides is not for the faint of heart. Setting off on such an arduous climb so late in the day, pretty foolish thing to do. Only Keith was not joking. Several people saw him walk out of town sometime between 4 and 5 p.m. that day, dressed in only blue jeans, a plaid shirt, and tennis shoes. Goes without saying, he was not equipped for that kind of terrain. 
A round trip to the mountain walking at a reasonable clip would have taken six solid hours. That would have brought Keith back into town by 10 p.m. at the absolute earliest. And it also goes without saying, even in August, the temperatures would have been uncomfortably frigid at that time. And, you know, add in the fact that Keith suffered from vertigo. And his spur of the moment, like, you know, hike starts to look almost suicidal. Keith Reinhardt did not return to Silver Plume that night. When he was still not back by the following morning, his friend Ted Parker alerted Colorado's Alpine rescue team. A search was launched almost immediately. Focused on the area around Pendleton Mountain, but, you know, taking in Sherman Mountain, Republican Mountain, the big area. This was a mammoth effort involving helicopters, search dogs, Civil Air Patrol Cessna. It was called off on August 12th after the spotter plane crashed into Pendleton Mountain. Yeah, killed the pilot. Seriously injured another person on board. Not a single trace of Keith Reinhardt has ever been found. What happened to Keith Reinhardt out there in the mountains remains completely mysterious. The only scant clue was that Keith left behind it was on his computer. On the last completed page of the novel he was working on. These words provide an eerie echo of real life. Quote, Guy Gypsum changed into some hiking boots and donned a heavy flannel shirt. He understood it all now, and his motivation. Guy closed the door, then walked off towards the lush, shadowless Colorado forests above. That's a quote from the book. Spooky, huh? In the years since Keith Reinhardt's mysterious disappearance, a lot of theories were proposed as to his fate. The first and most prevalent is that Keith committed suicide, that he wandered off into the wilderness fully aware he was never coming back. A variation on that theme is that he walked off into the forest to gain some insight into what his book's hero might experience in such a situation, you know? Only that research developed into a real-life death situation when he got lost out there. That's what they're saying. Each of these scenarios is entirely possible, of course, but they're also problematic. First, there is no indication that Keith was suicidal. If anything, he appeared to have worked through his issues and may have been planning to return to Chicago. The second situation is equally unlikely. Keith Reinhardt was not a fool. He'd been in Silver Plume long enough to know the dangers that the woods held, especially after dark. He had some common damn sense. Wild animals out there. It'd be easy to suffer a fall and sustain a serious injury on top of that. Also, Keith was ill-prepared for the weather, which drops very, very quick after dark. He knew this. So perhaps Keith's uh, you know, ill-fated hike was a ruse, right? Perhaps he used it as a cover to walk away from his old life and start anew somewhere else. Again, there's major issues I have with this one. This is one of the most widely held theories, but I got problems with that one. Tom was devoted to his wife, man. He was close to his kids. Why would he walk away? I know he was going through a midlife crisis, but this is extreme. Why put his family through the agony of not knowing what had happened to him? All he did was wanted to was escape for a little while and come back. You know? If he really wanted to disappear anyway, why spend three months in Silver Plume working on a book he never intended to finish? Another proposal is that Keith Reinhard was murdered, either in a random act or by someone who deliberately targeted him. The first of these theories suggests that the town of Silver Plume, population 140, 
as a serial killer. This individual was supposedly responsible for the deaths of both Keith Reinhardt and Tom Young, as well as any number of hikers. Reportedly, several human skulls have been found in the area. And yeah, I did confirm a, a couple of these. The second version is even more bizarre. It claims that the two men were killed because of something that they uncovered, possibly at the retail premises they both rented. And there's really some validity to that one. Either of these scenarios might have made a worthwhile plot for <laughs> Reinhardt's or anybody else's unfinished novel. There's also the obligatory conspiracy theory. It claims that Keith Reinhardt was assassinated by a government agency after he discovered that nuclear waste was being illegally dumped in the abandoned mine shafts that dot the landscape around Silver Plume. No evidence has been offered to support this particular allegation, although... A film crew that was shooting a documentary on this case did report unusually high Geiger counter readings at some of the shafts. But then again, the area does have naturally occurring uranium deposits, which, yeah, I've seen evidence of that too. Most mysteries once resolved turn out to have a logical explanation. The disappearance of Keith Reinhardt probably falls into this category. I mean, even if that explanation still eludes us, despite outside appearances, we cannot know Keith's state of mind in the days and weeks before he went missing. We can't know what a man what what makes a man wander off into a dangerous wilderness completely ill-equipped for the trek. It is safe to conclude though that Keith never made it out. His body is likely still out there waiting to be discovered. Near the town of Silver Plume, in the Rocky Mountains affixed to a rock, there's a plaque with the following words, O oh God, I want to wander, wander till I die, with the mountains as my living room, my only roof, the sky. That plaque commemorates the life of Keith Reinhardt. The words on that memorial are the words written down in his book that never you know, never saw the light of day. There is a major, <clears throat> there's a major weirdness going on here. Both of these men, both of them. It's considered speculation. But when you really dive into it, no, there's enough people that can corroborate this. Both of these men, they ran at the same place. Ironically, they were both working on a novel too. They both had journalistic kind of mindsets. They were both linked, it looks like. Not just in that way. There's something spooky that I kind of uncovered about it throughout my research and really diving into this thing. Both of these men said that they had indeed uncovered something. That theory is not without merit. Tom himself called a friend shortly before his disappearance and said, there's something going on in this town. There's something going on. Even our second guy. <laughs> he had told his wife on multiple occasions that he'd stumbled onto something, that this man was not suicidal. He didn't commit suicide. That there's some kind of conspiracy with that town. There's something going on. And he was taken out. I don't know how people, because I haven't found any evidence of this particular thing. I don't know how people are finding out or figuring out or even putting this together. 
that said evidence for whatever was going on had to do with the store space that they were renting. Maybe they're just stretching, but I'm not seeing anything solid there as far as the building itself. Maybe something was buried in a wall. Maybe maybe something was carved under one of the floorboards. Who knows? But we have nothing solid as far as the space itself. We just have a really creepy case of two lives that parallel each other very, very closely. You got to keep in mind, Reinhardt was a journalist. This guy was used to investigating. Yeah, he did a lot of sports journalism and stuff like that. But he went to school for investigative journalism. And occasionally the place he worked let him do pieces like that. He was damn good at it too. A lot of people say that he, as well as Tom, that he'd uncovered something. Something that had gotten the first guy killed. Pretty, pretty odd. I mean, do we know for a fact that both of these men committed suicide? No, we don't. Both of these men didn't seem suicidal at all. Unfortunately... I've known a couple of people in my own personal life who have committed suicide. And it's always the last person you think. Seriously. It's always these people that seemed so joyous, so happy. You see them like literally the day before and you don't think anything is freaking wrong. I kind of got a funny feeling with one of my buddies who ended up killing himself. I just got a funny feeling. It was a couple days before it happened. Saw him at the store. I was like, hey man, you all right? Turned around, big old goofy grin on his face. Yeah, I'm fine. Looked at me like I was out of my mind. It's always, I'm going to you know, say that because I have experience with that. It's always the people that always seem to be the happiest. So we can't say for certain that these men weren't suicidal. We cannot say that. It's always the last people that you think. And even if you have some kind of an idea, there's gonna, you're going to tell yourself there's no way that they're planning on doing that. They're just way too happy. It's kind of like what Robin Williams said. It's always the people that are the happiest that are the darkest inside because they feel like they need to make the world around them brighter. They need to make other people smile. They need to make other people laugh because their existence is so dark. So we can't say for certain that these men were suicidal or if they weren't suicidal. All we have to go on is that these men did have a lot to live for. Whether they thought so or not, can't tell. Now, there have been some interesting investigations into this. There are people who have brought psychics out there, mediums. Unsolved Mysteries had a crack at it. I didn't know this until I was today years old. I've known about this case for a long time, but you know how we save a lot of the research for you know when we're actually sitting here doing it. I just found out that there was an episode of Unsolved Mysteries that tackled this. Wow. That's pretty wild. I didn't know. <laughs> when did Unsolved Mysteries do this? Looks like an older episode. It's definitely not the Netflix pickup. It's not one of the Den Dennis Farina episodes. Yeah, this looks like one of the older episodes of Unsolved Mysteries. I'll be damned. I did not know that. Hmm. We do know that Keith Reinhardt, though, he had three goals. He wanted to get in shape by mountain climbing to overcome his fear of heights. Yeah, he had a fear of heights. Not only did he suffer from vertigo, he was terrified of heights. And to begin writing his novel. During his sabbatical, Keith wanted to try running an antique shop geared towards summer tourists. If it was successful, he hoped that he and his wife could relocate there permanently. Does that sound like a guy who's planning on killing himself? Does that sound like a guy who's planning on running away? Keith's old friend, Ted Parker, ran a cafe. He couldn't wait to be with his buddy. Nine months earlier, it was a bookstore, right? Tom Young, the man who mysteriously disappeared with his dog, ran the store for about a year. 
Tom told people he was taking a vacation to Europe. He couldn't wait. Three weeks went by before anybody came suspicious about the absence. He became... You got to understand, Keith Reinhardt was obsessed by the unexplained disappearance and began talking to everybody in Silver Plume who had known Tom. His journalist mind just kicked in. Eventually, you know, Keith ditched his entire dream project on this guy. If anybody had a reason to live, a reason to stick around, it was Keith. We can't say for sure, but man, difference between fact and fiction getting blurred. Talk about that. Holy cow. It really sounds like there's something going on here. As far as the conspiracy angle that these two men had stumbled upon something, that definitely merits some further study. But it's pretty, it's pretty compelling. It's pretty weird. Two guys, both working on books, both similar people, both renting the same space, both have, you know guys who were hiking, both a little reclusive. It's amazing. One guy decides to write a book on the first guy. Ends, ends up, same deal. Walks into the mountains, completely disappears. But what bugs me is he knew that walking into those mountains was a dangerous thing. He knew it. Maybe I'm stretching, maybe I'm not. But listen to me for a second here. You know what that sounds like to me? A guy going out to the mountain so ill-prepared? That sounds like a guy who's got to get his ass out there now. That sounds like a guy who does not want to miss something that he knows is out there. Did somebody tell him to meet him? Did somebody say, I know about Tom, you got to meet me out there now? Did he stumble upon some kind of information, some meeting that was occurring? I don't know. Pretty compelling stuff. And I would not be surprised if that's what went down. We just don't know. Crazy. One week after Tom's body was found, Keith walked through Silver Plume telling everyone he saw that he was going to climb the top of Pendleton. One of his stops was Ted Parker's Cafe. He was in the cafe. Uh, this is right from Ted Parker's mouth. He was in the cafe and told me that he was going to make it to the top of the mountain. If I don't come back, call the rescue. And he said that in jest, I felt. I have this picture of him pointing to the mountain and saying goodbye. That was the last time I saw the guy. He was last seen walking towards Pendleton, 4.30 in the afternoon. Bad time to go mountain hiking, boy. They were looking for a needle in a haystack. This haystack is 3,000 vertical feet of 60-degree slope. This is about as difficult to search terrain as anybody covers. Real disadvantage because Keith went into the mountains wearing no more than blue jeans and a flannel shirt and tennis shoes. No backpack, no equipment. A typical subject of a search will leave lots of clues for people to trace. Keith left nothing. 30 years of operation, the Colorado Alpine Rescue Teams had found every single person they ever found. Except one. Keith Reinhardt. Some have concluded that Keith Reinhardt and Tom Young were murdered, noting that both men rented the same space to run their shops. Perhaps they both came across information somebody did not want them to know. And oh boy, does it sound like that. Another theory is that Keith planned his own disappearance. Tom? I don't know. Isn't it crazy that the most likely thing is the conspiracy? <laughs> right? Using our common sense heads, we really can't do much with this. But isn't it funny that the conspiracy thing is usually the thing that you're like, oh, okay, that's that's kind of that's usually the sign that you're kind of reaching, you're going a little too far. This is one of those rare cases where the conspiracy is really the thing that makes the most sense. 
Or is it just all a coincidence? Some of Keith Reinhardt's friends recall that he was fascinated by the idea of visiting West Virginia. Also, Keith attended a party, remember, the night before he disappeared? Witnesses say he spent a good deal of time talking to a woman, Greta Gretchen, probably from Denver. Police would like to talk to her, even to this day. They hope she can remember something he said that would yield a clue due to his whereabouts, indeed, if he is still alive. Pretty, uh, pretty amazing stuff. I wonder if Dark Side of the Mountain ever came out. Because uh, according to my notes, I saw that on an art- article that was written back in 2020. Let's look this up. My computer wants to look up Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd. <laughs> it's probably because uh, Dark Side of the Moon is 50 years old this year. Did you know that? 50 years old. Uh, DarkSideDoc.com. Let's pull that up, and let's also pull up Dark Side of the Mountain on IMDb and see what we can see. Okay, I mean, I had to cut for quite some time to find anything on this movie. Yeah, uh, it was a documentary. The website's still up. It looks like they made their funding. Looks like they filmed it. IMDb page has practically nothing on this. But I am seeing screenshots. I'm seeing a cast list. It looks like they did complete the film. I guarantee if I uh, dive more into this, I can find it available for a stream or, you know, whatever, somewhere. Oh, wait a minute. Okay, I did find something, actually. It says this film is currently in post-production. So it looks like uh, it's still coming out. They hit some snags. Looks like COVID really messed a lot of stuff up. But it it is slated for a 2023 release. That's going to be something to watch, definitely. Um, hopefully they, you know, throw something new at us, but really I'm not seeing that there is anything new they can throw. One of their angles I'm seeing is their, since the eight, let me, let me just give you the gist of it. Since the 1890 silver crash, its population plummeted to a mere 130, largely by a melting plot of, you know, transplants from around the country, teachers, artisans, builders, you know, the, it, it's, um. It's a weird place. It's a granite shrine. Looming on a cliff above town serves as a reminder of its macabre legacy. There's a guy named Clifford Griffin, superintendent of that mine, died by bullet to the head in 1887. One of those other cases where they're like, they don't know if it was a suicide or not. That was a pretty strange one, too. I'm not going to dive into that one, though. I'm not going to go there. Because you give a town enough time, there's going to be stories like this. Every town has an Elm Street. You know what I mean? And you give a town enough time, there's going to be circumstances like this. But these two in particular, they're so similar that it's scary. It doesn't look like the film is offering really anything crazy new. It'd still be really neat to see, though. <coughs> Sorry, throat's messed up. You hear me wheezing? <sighs> I'm actually wheezing. Hopefully you won't be able to hear that. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just not any offering anything ground smashing for me. At least that's what, you know, nothing on the website is saying that. Still, it'd be worth watching. It's an interesting story, to say the least. Yeah, it's a pretty uh, pretty bizarre one. Maybe someday we'll find out what happened. Maybe we'll find out someday how these two deaths are linked very closely. I'm willing to bet that they are in some way. Pretty weird. But there's really no way of knowing. We could possibly never find out why these two stories are linked so closely. What made them both so mysterious. We'll probably never find Keith Reinhardt. I hope someday that we do. I hope someday that there's somebody shed some light on this thing. 
pretty pretty bizarre stuff. So yeah, I'm going to bookmark this uh, website here. Documentary comes out. Hey, at least I got something on the watch list. Uh, <laughs> pretty interesting. Anyway, guys, that's all we got. Did I leave something out? Did I miss something that could have blown this entire thing wide open? Let me know. Go on Asylum817.com. That's Asylum817.com for all things Strange Places related. All the social media links are there, as well as the link to get to our Patreon account, where you get everything from bonus episodes, giveaways of certain tiers, ad-free episodes, all kinds of stuff. Check it out. Shout out to the patrons, by the way. The Kunkel Homestead YouTube channel, Donald Haynes, David Peterson. I appreciate you guys. Show sure wouldn't be around if it wasn't for you. So thank you. And to everybody who keeps coming back every week, I'm just downright floored how well this podcast is doing. Just blows my mind. Thank you so much for coming back. And yeah, that's all we got. Now, are we ever going to run out of strange places to talk about? I don't think so. Because every town has a strange place. And maybe one day, we'll visit yours. Interested in the development of AI and its impact on the world? Interested in technology? Interested in hearing from the world's leading AI engineers, researchers, and founders about the biggest questions regarding artificial intelligence? Well, I have a show for you. This episode is brought to you by the No Priors Podcast, hosted by Ilog Gill and Sarah Guo. No Priors is your personal guide into the AI revolution. Topics such as GitHub Copilot, the future of search engines, the latest in AI research, machine learning, AI content creation, and more are discussed here. No Priors is a super well-produced, entertaining, and informative show that'll give you a fresh insight into where we are heading as technologically-minded human beings. They've made a fan in me already. In researching this show for this ad, this show facilitated in me an interest I didn't even know I had. How it is presented is everything and that is the mark of truly remarkable content. A link to the show will be provided in this episode's description, so check them out. The No Priors Podcast. I'll see you there.